Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. The heat is on for Solskjaer, Spurs spoil Newcastle's party, Salah does it again and Arsenal are back to square one. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Uh, Lewis, I saw those photos of Arsenal's new uh, dressing room and tunnel area yesterday. Before we start, I just I just wondered if you could explain to, to, to us and the listeners what the words victory through harmony mean to you. <laughs> That's the, the sort of um, the club... What do you call it? A motto or oh, okay. whatever, you know? Or like the, I'm, I'm sure Man City have got one, haven't they? Uh, like a, like which used to be in Latin. Ah, yeah, right, right, just right. Just shared in English all the time instead. Ah. So it was a uh, Victoria Concordia Crescent. Ah, in right, Latin, right, right, right. Which used to be on the old Arsenal badge as well. Um, but the words now, when they get thrown around. With anything to do with the club, they always get thrown around in English instead for some reason. Right. I thought it was something that Arteta had insisted that they put up on the wall or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he quite has that much influence. Right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, we did used to have a Latin motto that meant pride in battle. That was just ironic for for most of the nineties and, and two thousands, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, and then they, they ditched it when they got the new badge. How's your Latin, Matt? Um, yeah, apart from Spurs's old one. Um, it's absolutely terrible. I did it at school, but I can't remember much. You did it at school? I did, wow. did Latin at school. Oh, right. Yeah. I did not do Latin at school, I can ah. tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's crack on and we'll begin at the King Power Stadium this week where Manchester United's 29-game unbeaten away run came to an end with a 4-2 defeat at the hands of Leicester. Uh, that's just two wins in the last seven matches for United now, but the reports coming out after this game suggest Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job is safe for the time being at least. Why do you suppose that is, Lewis? Um... I guess just because we're not that far into the season. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's not a, not a good run that they're on at the moment, but what the gap to the top is five points and three points behind Man City. It, if you're going to go into the season with him in charge, then I don't think you can really sack him at a point when you're just three points behind the champions. Mm. If they were to get knocked out of the Champions League in the group stage, do you think that could be the, the final nail in the coffin for him? <laughs> yeah, I think that is something that could definitely change that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this game kicked off a run of matches in which United played Liverpool, Tottenham, Man City, Atalanta twice in the Champions League, Watford and Chelsea. Do you think Solskjaer will still be in charge at the end of that run, Matt? Oh, that's a really difficult one. I-, I saw someone comparing his third season to Mourinho's third season and saying that he they had similar points and you know, there was questions about the football and he was gone by Christmas. So... Now I'm thinking, yeah, like like Lewis mentioned, poor performance in the Champions League. And if it looks as though they're kind of out of the title race already, then I can't imagine he'd be in charge. The only way I could see him still being in charge is if United really don't have anywhere else to turn. And it doesn't make sense to go through turmoil of Mm. not having a manager. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they got a result against Liverpool at Old Trafford next weekend. That tends to be a a game where they they often turn up for, they've got City as well. That's a a game that Solskjaer's got results in 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 recent times. I mean, Tottenham, who knows where where that game could go. (laughs) Yeah, It feels like this is what always happens, right? Whenever we get to the point where yeah, we're yeah. talking about if Solskjaer might be on the verge or has a few jo- a few games left until mm. his job's really in danger and then he pulls two massive wins out of somewhere and then no one talks about it again for three months and yeah. then it all happens over and over again. <laughs> he's like James Bond and he thinks, surely he's going to die this time and then he somehow <laughs> escapes at the last second, yeah. <laughs> um, a few people suggested when Cristiano Ronaldo signed that he might be more detrimental and helpful to United. I, I-, I didn't really buy that at the time, but... 
Do you think there's something in that, Lewis? And has he made Jaden Sancho's start to life at Old Trafford more complicated than it should have been? Yeah, I think there's definitely something in it. I, I don't think Man United needed to score loads more goals, um, and I don't think Cristiano does. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo does much else nowadays than score goals. And then you're obviously playing, you know, talk about the, the pressing or lack of pressing and defensive shape. And when you've got nowadays one player sort of walking around, most teams in the Premier League are good enough to, to play through you and, and it does lead to chances. And obviously that's exactly how Leicester played through Man United and, and scored a few goals at the weekend. So I do think it's a problem. I think it's also a problem, yeah, for Jaden Sancho, for Bruno Fernandes as well. Everyone's a bit in deference to Ronaldo whenever he, he's involved anywhere. It happened at Juventus, who had gone on this amazing run of league titles and then didn't win the league last season while he was there. And players like, you know, you've seen at Real Madrid, Benzema explode in terms of end, end products since yeah. Ronaldo left. Yeah, I think it, it, he treads on people's toes a little bit. They have to get out of the way a little bit so that he can shine. And you saw the start of this season, Paul Pogba was playing brilliantly mm. on the left. And But now in order to fit all of those players in and add Ronaldo to the mix, Mason Greenwood's had to move out wide and that means Pogba's playing in that deeper midfield position where he's never really been convincing since he joined United. So I think it's not just Jadon Sancho. I think there's a few players who whose jobs have changed and you're not getting the most out of three or four other players in order to accommodate Ronaldo. Not that he's playing badly himself, but yeah. it definitely has a knock-on effect that I think is damaging for the whole team. Yeah, I feel sorry for Cavani as well. You saw the, the form he was at the end of last season and, and he can't, yeah. can't get yeah. a look in at the moment now, can he? And you, you wonder if he ever is going to get a look in because you can't really sort of drop Ronaldo if, he, if he's fit and available. Yeah, weird one. Uh, as for Leicester, this was a brilliant performance from them after what has been a pretty indifferent start to the season. Do you think this will be a, a catalyst for a good run of form now, Matt? It should be. If beating Manchester United 4-2 doesn't give you the confidence for a good run of form, I don't know what will. Mm. Um, I think they've they really kind of... Maybe it was just that turning point where they all started to realise and believe, like, this is how we play. This is the good Leicester that, that, that we've come to see in the last few years. I think... I wouldn't say they lost their way. It was just a few poor performances and maybe wasn't quite clicking and some confidence was low. But yeah, I think everyone in that team after the weekend should definitely, definitely have a lot of confidence. And they've been unlucky with injuries as well, Leicester. Um, but certainly, I think they've actually got a really good squad as well um, to, to kind of come in and replace some of these injuries. And I just, I think there's no reason why they can't, like like you say, go on a really good run of form now because it would be a shame for this kind of era under Brendan Rodgers of them almost getting in the Champions League two years in a row to then get nowhere near it. Mm. You'd like to see him do it just once, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see him playing with two up top this game and, and Pat Sendaka mm. getting his first goal as well. You, you wonder if that's going to kickstart his Leicester career now. Not that it's been particularly bad so far, but he's just been sort of settling in really, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Mason Greenwood scored a great goal to open the scoring, but I thought the Yuri Tielemans goal was the goal of the game here. If, if Maybe there's a bit of debate about whether he meant it or not. I don't know, but I thought it was a lovely goal. I mean, I mean, he's a fabulous player, isn't he, T. Lemons, Lewis? Yeah, my goal of the game would be the one from kickoff because I just love a goal from kickoff. <laughs> yeah. Just two long passes, defence half asleep, goal. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but you're right, T. Lemons is great. He's one of those, Leicester have sort of done this brilliant job of collecting players who are definitely good enough to play in the Champions League and for the top teams in the league. And they've, obviously, it's not the entire side, but... 
you really could go through that squad, I think, and pick six or seven players out who could pretty much play for anyone in England. Yeah. Tielemans is in this weird spot. He he strikes me as a perfect signing for the new Newcastle era and the, the kind of, you know, not quite playing for a top club, but a really, really good player, a club just below who would probably accept a massive offer. Mm. I wonder if he will end up there or be linked with them over the next couple of months. Interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jamie Vardy's goal was 54 seconds after Marcus Rashford's equaliser to make it 3-2 here, uh, which prompted one of my favourite football cliches, which is that you're, you're at your most vulnerable when you've just scored. Is that true, do you think, Matt? I don't know. It makes it seem like you're still celebrating just jumping <laughs> yeah. around or the other team like continues to play. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe... Oh, gosh. it's Maybe it's situational. I mean, they just got back into the game. They're like, yeah, we can go on and win this. Bit of sleep. I don't know, really. I guess you'd have to take all the data of how many teams concede like the first minute after scoring. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure Begs I'd buy the question, it, Begs the question, what's more dangerous, scoring a goal or just being 2-0 up? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The most dangerous yeah, scoreline in football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where would we be without these cliches, eh? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Newcastle, their new era kicked off with a 3-2 defeat to Tottenham at St. James's Park on Sunday. Uh, Matt, you must have been thinking, here we go again, when Callum Wilson put Newcastle ahead after one minute and 50 seconds, weren't you? I, I was furious. <laughs> Absolutely. There was just Spursy, typical Tottenham. You know, you go to a tough away game up north and us, us Southerners aren't used to it and it's cold and there's a big atmosphere and you get scared and that's what happens. It was just the most Tottenham thing in the world to start like that and really kind of, what, what's the word, kind of, um, exaggerate the storyline behind yeah, yeah. it, you know, and I just thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I, I'm glad my phone is still intact and my TV because, <laughs> yeah, I was just absolutely furious and I really just thought it would just be typical. It's like if you could hand pick a side to play against when you really need a win, you'd pick Tottenham every time. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, they they're like a sort of a boxer that that gets put in the ring just to get battered basically in this game yeah. it seemed like oh, and, and then that goal went in I was like yeah it cool. looked like it yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah it all changed I mean we'll, we'll come back to the game in a minute but first I want to ask you Lewis uh, you know there's been a lot of debate about the, the Saudi Arabia takeover of Newcastle and, and how fans should be uh, responsive to it and what, what do you think the appropriate response from a football supporter should be when your club is taken over by for example the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia or the ruling family of Abu Dhabi etc should, should we expect fans to walk away from the club under those circumstances? I, I don't think so. It's, it's a lot easier to answer the question what's the, what are the inappropriate responses <laughs> yeah. than what's the appropriate one. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want to tell people what to do. For me personally, I think walking away, you you would also or could also feel sort of like, well, they can't, even though they sort of have, they can't take my football club away from me. Mm. So why should I be forced to walk away from my football club? Which is what I think is is really difficult. I think what nobody should be doing is glorifying the new owners and bowing down and yeah. rounds of applause. And, you know, I mean, no one should ever be going anywhere with a tea towel on their head, but <laughs> definitely not in these, yeah. in these circumstances. Yeah, so I think that's... Um, that's where the line is drawn, like where people have, if we say sort of we're all so attached to our clubs that it's not really a choice, it's so emotional. People have choices about, you know, whether or not they like the ownership. Um, obviously, we all want our football teams to win, but where do you draw the line? Yeah. Um, that's the question. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a Man City fan. I think we have done a, a, quite a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the kind of moral dilemma that comes with this stuff over the years. And, and I've made my peace with it in that I, I, I don't like the people that own City. I don't really like them being owners of the club, but I do understand that none of the sporting success would have been possible without their money over the years. So I've kind of like made my peace with it in that I know where I draw the line and it's kind of like I, I can I can support the club and, and not support the owners. I mean, we have a banner in the stadium at the Etihad which says, Manchester thanks you, Sheikh Mansour. And I feel sick every time I look at that because it's just like, mm. yeah, it, it just is inappropriate that there's no, there's no reason to glorify people like that. There's no reason to bow down at the feet and say we, you are we're not worthy of you and all this kind of thing you know as people have been saying you can't control who owns your football club and if that was the case Mike Ashley wouldn't have been in charge of Newcastle for all this time so I think the fans have a right to uh, of Newcastle have a right to be excited and 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 hopeful for the future now but at the same time you, you do have to check yourself when you putting tea towels on your head as you say uh, Matt are you, are you convinced this takeover will actually be a, a success and Newcastle will emulate Man City's uh, what, what they've done over the past few years or, or do you think the landscape has changed somewhat recently um, oh god it's very tough I think the one the one thing I think is what would you define as a success for Newcastle mm. um, because regardless of how much money they'll have how many players they'll buy there is such ridiculous quality and competition in the Premier League. I mean, realistically, Newcastle could go out and buy the top 11 most value players in the world today, right? Mm. The rest of the season, they still have to beat Man City and Liverpool to the title and Chelsea and face United week in, week out. And there's so many good teams in the Premier League that I just think like we're better than the rest and you build a super squad like it's FIFA and you just sort of trample 8-0 on everybody. Yeah. It's never going to happen. I think, can they become one of the bigger names and one of the top six, one of the contenders for sure? But is that necessarily success? I mean, if Manchester City and PSG's resources and not winning the Champions League is deemed a failure, then having 10, 20, 30 times the resources even winning the Champions League might be a failure for Newcastle. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> technically, if there's nothing or nobody that you can't buy, it, success has to be winning every single match. And that's not going to happen because the Premier League is very competitive. So uh, I don't know what they define as success, but there's basically, there's no option to lose. Yeah. Well, I mean, financial fair play is still a thing as far as I'm aware. I think it's probably oh, okay, going to get yeah, true, be, be yeah. re revamped in some way and, and might mm. make it a little easier for them to invest. But I, I feel like it's going to take a long time for them to catch up I with the cities and Chelsea's and Liverpool. Yeah, and it, to do, it will take some time. To do with what Matt's saying there as well about what is success, it, it's, the number of Newcastle fans you've seen and like even at the stadium in like little Vox Pops and stuff say, we just want a team that like competes and, and mm. someone who tries. But it's like, you, you don't though, do you? Because as soon as you're trying really hard and finishing second, that won't be good enough. You'll yeah. want to try really hard <laughs> and win the league. Like no, no one, nobody wants their team to, we all want our teams to just try hard, but 
if you don't win games, then everyone's going to be fed <laughs> up at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. I remember thinking, I'd love us to just qualify for the UEFA Cup one year as a City fan. And now if we if we finish sixth, You'd be it'd be furious. the end of the world. Yeah, we'd be you know demanding <laughs> that heads rolled and all sorts. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah you you, you soon find that your priorities change in football when money comes along. I see it going better than like a QPR, Chris Amber, 100k a week getting ready. <laughs> it's like, I don't yeah. think it's going to be that bad. It might not be as difficult as City because... Obviously, City get the big name for the for the Middle East takeover, but you know, let's not act like Liverpool, Chelsea, and United don't have millions to spend on whoever they want as well. Exactly. You yeah. know, it's not just Newcastle aren't just competing with City for the title, and that's it. Yeah, that's what I mean. The, lands- the landscape has changed a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. We don't spend it, but we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this was Steve Bruce's one thousandth game in management. Do you expect him to have many more in charge of Newcastle Lewis? And, and who do you think they should be looking at as their next manager? <laughs> Uh, no, um, I, I don't expect him to have many more in charge anywhere. To be honest, after yeah. after he loses the Newcastle job, I do really struggle to see where the next one's coming from. Certainly not in the Premier League again. I don't think. Mm. Um, and the next manager, well, uh, <laughs> it's really weird, isn't it? It'll be the same with targeting players, like that you can sort of afford anyone, but not everyone will want to go to you yet. Like everybody will want to go to Newcastle in six or seven years and they'll be able to buy anyone. But for the four or five years to get there, there's going to be a lot of chopping and changing and players who don't take you immediately to the top, but to the next level. And, you know, from wherever they are now to competing for a European place, say next season, um, so it would be quite interesting. I don't know. Roberto Martinez strikes me as someone that would that would just fit. That yeah. he would go in. Him, Eddie Howe, Brendan Rodgers. But I think Roberto Martinez stands out for me as it would just make so much sense. Like that that news would break and I'd go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I can see that. I think Rodgers yeah. has sort of categorically ruled himself out of it, hasn't it? But it'd be interesting to see whether he rode back on that uh I'm sure our, our Celtic fan uh, supporting friend would would be skeptical about that, about that, wouldn't he? I mean, there is talk. Yeah, I don't that New- think he'd take him at his word. No, absolutely not. There is a, there is talk that Newcastle are going to appoint a director of football before they do anything. So uh, maybe that's that's something that has to happen before they get a new manager. But I have to say, I, I loaded up a career mode with Newcastle on the new FIFA the other day just to sort of see if I could if if, if I fancy doing it. I looked at the squad they've got now, and I'm like, this squad's so shit, I can't even be bothered, and and just turned it off straight away. So. <laughs> Anyone, bad. Yeah. anyone taking that manager's job now has to realise that they're, like, they're in a relegation battle this season and they might be in the mm. championship next season. Yeah. There's not that much that they'll be able to do in January and get this done like quickly enough to I, guarantee that that won't be the situation. I, I was looking at a few names the other day and one of them actually that I'd really like to see given a chance in the Premier League was Lucien Favre. Oh yeah. Because he did he did this with Gladbach. You know, he took them over at bottom. They were bottom of the Bundesliga and got them into the Champions League and developed some incredible players and, you know, attacking football. And uh, Lewis is far more uh, tactically adept at knowing what Favre does through Dortmund. But I just, I don't know, I just think he's a good attacking coach. I'd love to see him given a chance. But yeah, I'm not sure if they'll if they'll risk it with someone with no Premier League experience. Yeah. One to keep an eye on. Uh, going back to the game, Spurs did come from behind to win in the end. Uh, Matt, have you seen uh, enough improvement since that defeat at Arsenal the other week to suggest that maybe Nuno isn't totally out of his depth after all? Um, yeah, I have. I have done. There, there has been some improvement, of course, but I think the Arsenal game was so bad that this is sort of a return to the levels that we know from Spurs. Mm. 
Um, I think it has been a lot of improvement. I think that Kane looks to be a little bit more, I wouldn't say completely happy, the fact that he's staying at Spurs for the season, but a little bit more accepting of it. And um, certainly, and the noises from the club, especially from what the likes of Nuno and Palatici have said, looks as though that he's on board with with the project um, more so than he was at the end of the summer. And I, I also think that, that Nuno's kind of keeping it a bit more simple with some of his choices, and Dombele is getting a run in the team and not getting slaughtered every single other press conference like he was under Mourinho. Um, there seems to be a balance in the team. Um, on the left and the right hand side in the attack. The defence seems a little bit more settled than it was, although I still think it was some improvement. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely some more positive signs. And look, a few years ago, Aston Villa and Newcastle, to beat them only by one goal wouldn't have been very good for Spurs when they, when they were really flying. But, you know, you take the results now kind of as you can. And look, five wins out of eight isn't horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Was it, did you have any conflicting feelings about Harry Kane's goal? Is all, all forgiven with him now? I was never mad at him. I always knew this day. <laughs> I was the one at the beginning of summer saying he's not going anywhere yeah. because nobody is paying that money for him. I love him. Always have loved him. Love it when he scores. Great finish. Yeah, I, he never... I'll never have a bad thing to say about him. Fair enough. Uh, on Monday, Arsenal needed a 95th minute equaliser to salvage a 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace. Uh, Lewis, I saw you tweeted after the draw with Brighton the other week, something like you, you were still trying to work out how good Arsenal are. Are you any closer to working that out? Yeah, and it's bad news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Arsenal can be a good team for spells and but never for games and and certainly not runs of form mm-hmm. um and it's obviously a problem in the Premier League if you don't as they did in the North London derby sort of score two or three and put a game to bed in the spell when you're good then you leave yourself wide open for a team to come back and punish you and that sort of feels like the the pattern at the moment at Arsenal I don't think that the team plays well for 90 minutes. I don't think they play badly for 90 minutes. There are just, you know, really good 10 minute periods in games and really bad 15, 20 minute periods in games. And it depends, like both teams end up getting one or two chances and it just depends who puts their chances in the back of the net. Um, you know, that decides where the points go. Yeah. For a team that wants to be competing at the upper end of the Premier League, that's not really good enough. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about Nicolas Pepe. He's been at Arsenal for, for a long time now. He's shown the occasional flash of brilliance, but that's about it, really. How disappointed have you been with him? And do, do you have faith he can he can turn his Arsenal career around? I think you'd have to put him at £72 million up there as the all-time, in the all-time worst Premier League signings. Mm. Um, you know, that's like world-class game-changer money for a winger. You're looking at 15 goals, 20 goals a season, or you're hoping to. And yeah, it is just, it's very, like you said, really flashes. There are flashes of it, um, but they're few and far between. And there's so much inconsistency, not reliable at all to, to produce on a regular basis or even to have, you know, a good 90 minutes. But again, you look dangerous for five or ten minutes and then not at all for 20, 25 and make wrong decisions and simple decisions. And I think his Arsenal, I think Arsenal would like to sell him, but probably can't find someone to pay much money for him. Yeah. 
certainly not to get much of the 72 million they spent on him back, which is a little bit awkward because then you're just sort of left with the player. You don't want to sell him for sort of 20 million because then you're writing off 50 million. Yeah. But then it's like, well, what's the alternative? Get no money for him and, <laughs> yeah. and then he just keeps playing. Yeah. Um, and he's now, you know, he, he can only play on the right really. And that's now, you know, I think quite clear by now that that's Bukayo Saka's best position and yeah. Bukayo Saka is Arsenal's best player. So I don't see how Pepe turns things around when, you know, even last night and he, was you know, contributed heavily to to both goals, but other than that, was really really poor. Mm. And by playing him, you're playing your best player in a, in not his strongest position on the other side of the pitch, which just seems a, a bit of a nuisance really for everybody. Yeah, he's one of the play- those players. I saw him in France, and I think like a lot of people, I thought this guy's going to be dynamite in the Premier League. He's got everything, and yeah, it's just been a bit baffling that he's he's never really sort of built on that. And and yeah, like you say, it's a uh, you just don't know, don't really know where he fits in at Arsenal anymore. Speaking of Saka, by the way, how annoyed were you about that uh, that James MacArthur <laughs> uh, volley on him that only got a yellow card? Yeah, I mean, uh, James MacArthur's pulled a blinder there, hasn't he? Yeah, He's like the, the ball's in the air, and how how malicious do you have to be to think? Oh, you know what? I could pretend that I'm actually trying to volley this and I don't know that there's someone right in front of me and it's just use it as an excuse to kick someone as hard as I possibly can. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, was, I, I was very, very surprised that he got away with it. Yeah. I don't think anyone, anyone on the planet actually thinks that James MacArthur thought he was about to volley the football. <laughs> hey, you never know. He's, he's, he's got penchant for scoring from 20 yards, hasn't he? So, yeah. That's uh, might have been one of his trademark brilliant volleys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of Palace, Matt, this this should probably still be considered a, 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 a decent result for them, even though they they came so close to winning. Probably feels like a defeat at the end. That's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Um, have they have they done better than you th- th- than you thought they would under Patrick Vieira so far? And do you get the sense they're, they're kind of improving as week the weeks go on? Um, yeah, they are improving, and I think it, this is definitely one where they absolutely have to give Vieira time. I think they released so many players over the summer. They've brought in so many new ones and it's going to take time. They're not going to be perfect. And I think I think the, throughout the whole season, they kind of have to look for these these good results. You know, the fact that they've only got a point is disappointing, but mm. they've gone to the Emirates and played well and got a point. You know, they had a fantastic re- result against Spurs. They need to take these positives and continue to build on it rather than think... Um, you know, we're not where we, we want to be. Vieira is not doing the business because I think they've got some really good, talented players. And in all honesty, as long as they're here to fight the Premier League next season, I don't think you can consider it a bad job. If they yeah. finish 17th, if they finish 17th um, and slowly but surely stick to the positives, weed out the errors and the bad mistakes and some of the players who aren't up to scratch, they can develop into a really good team, I think. And they've got some really exciting players. Yeah. This is all with that... Um, Without Everechezi, who's injured, and yeah. I think he's a fantastic player. Me too, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, Liverpool kicked off the weekend with a 5-0 win away at Claudio Ranieri's Watford on Saturday. Mohamed Salah set up Sadio Mane for the opening goal with an amazing pass before scoring another incredible goal himself. Um, was this goal better than the one against City the other week for you, Lewis? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know because it depends how much you sort of weigh up the what the occasion means yeah. to a goal. Obviously, that Man City one is sort of the the game of the season, the one that probably decides or, or could definitely decide where the title goes. 
So I think that was a big part of, you know, what was so special about that Man City goal. And then this, you know, you're a few goals up already at Watford and it's early on a Saturday and people are sort of half watching in the background, which definitely does take a little bit something away from it. But the goal, you know, from in terms of what Salah managed to do there, I think is at least as good as the one against Manchester City. I I liked how the celebration was him just basically saying to the fans, I've I've done it again. Can you believe it? <laughs> Aren't I wonderful? And it's like, yeah, yeah fair enough. Just sort of like, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure why you're all so impressed to be honest. I know, yeah. <laughs> I asked I asked Joel on the last podcast after the City game whether Salah is now the best player in the world. He was a little bit non-committal about that, uh, but he scored eight goals in eight consecutive games. Is, is he the best player in the world for you, Matt? Uh, he's not the best player in the world. He's the best player in the world right now on form. <laughs> For sure. I don't think there's anyone better than him at the moment. Um, I think Karen Benzema's in ridiculous form this season as well. Mm. Um, Lewandowski's not doing too bad either, is he? Yeah, Lewandowski's not too bad. I think in terms of, well, we're talking about it on a Premier League podcast, but in terms of exposure, the Premier League is, you know, the biggest in the world. So the headlines are all for Salah. But yeah, deservedly so. I think, I think he's the best in the world at the minute for sure. But I mean, let's say Messi never kind of gets back to the the heights that he that he was at, mm. but which is possible because he's you know he's quite old now. Uh, it, do we just say without that caveat that Salah is the best player in the world? Then do we give it a few mm. more weeks and say actually there he is? Um, I don't know when, when, when's the cutoff point for deciding it, who. It, <laughs> it's funny because I think a lot of the time with goal scorers like Salah, don't get me wrong, Salah can do all sorts of bits in his game. I mean, you mentioned the past to Mane. I think with goal scorers, it's very difficult to avoid the switch turning on and off Mm. you know whether you're the best player in the world goes hand in hand with whether or not you're finding the back of the net because everything brilliant that Salah can do right if he does absolutely everything amazingly but doesn't score in 10 games are you still going to have this argument that he's the best yeah probably not he's still the same footballer he can still do the same thing he's probably not going to go 10 games without a goal though is he that's yeah yeah he's probably not (laughs) but but you know what I mean I feel like it it goes, you know, it's just like you can't judge him for 10 games without a goal. 10 games with a goal means that he's in the best form. Mm. But uh, I don't know. I don't think he's the best best player in the world. <laughs> I'm happy to say that he is, to be fair. But yeah, that's just... That's <laughs> yeah, just I'll, I think I'd go with you, Dan, <laughs> yeah. uh, Well, that's our 100 Premier League goals for Sadio Mane as well. None of which were penalties, interestingly enough. Um, that, we, we talked when, when Salah uh, racked up his 100th Premier League goal the other week about whether he's an, a, an all-time Premier League great. Would you say Mane goes into that category as well, Lewis? Yeah, I think I would. I think... I don't know. What <laughs> getting back to like cut off points and yeah. stuff? Like, is is there a limited number of all time greats you can have? Like, does he knock someone else out of that? If if we say that he does belong there, that mm. sort of you know some other winger from the past doesn't. I think he's he's definitely up there, and he's done it for a long time now as well. And we're seeing more and more players. Obviously, it's the Premier League's gone on longer and longer. We're seeing more and more players hit that hundred goal mark, but we're seeing more and more players who aren't really strikers hit that 100 goal mark and I think that's really impressive and I mean I think we'd all agree that over the past what three or four years and with their exploits in Europe as well that this Liverpool side's one of the greatest ever Premier League teams yeah. and he's been a massive massive part of that so 
you know, I think you you have to consider him at least up there with some of the all-time Premier League greats. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, someone told me a while ago how they would define a, a world-class player would be if the the planet Earth was playing a match against like Mars or something, who would get into that planet Earth team? That's how you define a world-class player, which is a ridiculously tight parameter, isn't it? <laughs> so it's like saying, if you if you play a Premier League eleven against the Bundesliga eleven, would Sadio Mane get in it of all time? I, I don't know if he probably would, which is a bit, a bit no. unfortunate for him, really, but yeah. No, not, yeah. How, not how good are we expecting that. this Mars team to be? I mean, they, yeah, they're, <laughs> I, I don't know, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've all seen Space Jam, though, haven't we? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> if it's anything like that, then it'd be tricky, yeah. <laughs> uh, Liverpool's third goal here was quite similar to uh, Kylian Mbappe's in the Nations League final last week. Salah was, was offside when the ball was played, but then made inactive by the defender touching the ball. Do, do you think that law desperately needs to change, Matt? Is it is it very unfair? I'm trying to remember what the law was before these two um, incidences. I, d- I don't know. Was it given beforehand? I think it's was always it been not? like that. We've just seen a couple in, in quick succession. That oh, okay. Well, yeah. that's yeah. Because I was thinking, I can't remember a time when my attention has been brought to it. Yeah. I know that if you're receiving pressure from a player who's in an offside position, like they were, um, then it was the refer the assistant sorry would flag. I think the issue is is if a player's not really too involved. Like if he's quite far away, he's looking to get on the end of a pass and a player just thinks, you know, I'm not entirely sure I should probably clear it. You probably would have to give it offside because they're going to be active. That's the that's the um, that's the line where you draw it is. Are they active or are they going to be active? Yeah. Well, I think um, in, are they in both, the intended recipient? Yeah, in both cases, the defenders have played the ball because the guy's there, haven't they? So, and th- and then that's ruled them on side. It just doesn't make sense. It's a bit of a dichotomy, really. But I, what I what if just... what if the defender was like, "Oh, I thought someone was there." Yeah, but he yeah. wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> 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 like, yeah. Like, yeah it's, it's I don't know. It's quite um, it's quite a difficult one to draw when there's no kind of exact yeah. way of knowing. I thought it was an open but, and shut case, to be honest, but you've put a seed of doubt in my mind now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought the Mbappe one was a lot more obvious than the, yeah. than the Liverpool-Watford one. Yeah. Let's move on anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about Watford. I mean, this was a pretty dismal performance from them. Um, Lewis, can you understand why they sacked uh, Zisco Munoz and hired Claudio Ranieri? Is he going to be the man to, to save them from relegation on this evidence? Uh, I can and no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know the last time we all said that Claudio Ranieri was going to take a football team down, um, he went and won the Premier League. Yeah. So what the hell do we know? Um, who am I to write him off again? Yeah. Uh, I, I would be surprised if if he does. Well, I'd be very surprised if he does that with Watford um, this yeah. or next season. I, I don't think that they're good enough to stay up. I think there are quite a few poor teams down the bottom of the league and I think Watford are definitely one of them and they'll be in the the bottom four if not the bottom three come the end of the season especially if Newcastle go and spend 200 million in January (laughs) so yeah I completely understand why they made a change um but I don't know I don't think it's enough to save them and Yeah. yeah it's a bit it's a bit unfair isn't it to get thrown into Liverpool uh, playing yeah, Liverpool oh yeah, when totally, you've yeah. just taken over a few days before and or international break so you've not had half the players to work with for the for the few days that you've been in charge and then you have to host Liverpool is the worst possible way to start and I don't think it gets much easier either if you look at Watford's fixtures yeah. so yeah I think it'll be a long long season for them 
Yeah, it's interesting about about Zisco as well. A lot of people sort of expressed a bit of shock that he was sacked, and I saw a few Watford fans on Twitter just saying, "Listen, if you watch us closely, you would understand why he'd been sacked. We're, we're not a good side at all uh, under him." So, I think that that Hiram uh, Fire and policy gets a bit of stick, but it's, it's kind of worked okay for them so far, on it. But yeah, I'm, I'm a bit a bit skeptical about this this Ranieri appointment. Uh, Manchester City kept up their unblemished Premier League home record against Burnley, but they were made to work hard for their two 0 win on Saturday. Uh, Bernardo Silva scored the opening goal. He's in great form at the moment. I mean, when you think about it, Matt, would you say maybe he's the best midfielder in the world at the moment? <laughs> You're putting all these best Here we go. questions <laughs> to me. Does, do, do you have to score goals to be the best midfielder in the world? Um, I, I, would, I don't know, really. Yeah, good question. Yeah, <laughs> Because I would argue that Bernardo Silva, although he has been playing as one of the three central midfielders for City, slightly more of an attacking player, um, maybe towards... The further end of the pitch, you do expect him to get a few more goals, but I think it's very difficult to judge on a player who doesn't score. If you get what I mean, yeah, to kind of just write them off as best player because they're not they're not scoring. But yeah, I think he's definitely considering he was linked with a move away, right? For for some reason in the summer, he's really turned it around, and I think he's one of the first names in the city team sheet at the oh, moment. Yeah, yeah. I really, really think he's in such good form, and he, he's showing that consistency. And yeah, I don't see why not. It seems there might be, you know, um, a little bit of chopping and changing to come at City, you know, not only in the team sheet, but in the transfer market as well. And I think he might actually benefit from this by getting a longer run in the team. Yeah, well, he uh, he wanted to leave because he wanted to leave, basically. Yeah, he wanted to leave because yeah. he he didn't like the, the weather in Manchester, wanted to go somewhere sunnier and be closer to his family. And in those circumstances, you would normally expect a player to kind of like be a bit sulky and, and not and, and sort of yeah. play within themselves but he's playing probably the best he's ever played for City at the moment which is quite he, does, he doesn't strike me like that kind of guy though yeah. he strikes me as a bit of an honest hard worker yeah uh, conversely Kevin De Bruyne scored the other goal um, he didn't have a great game and, and hasn't been in his best for a while really um, I was thinking while watching this game Lewis he, he's 30 now do you think it's possible we may have seen the best of Kevin De Bruyne Yes, he says very reluctantly <laughs> because you know, Kevin De Bruyne will go on some ridiculous run of form after I've after I've said that. I I've worried for a while about the the injuries, and he obviously rushed back to play in the Euros and then played through a really serious ligament injury during the Euros. I, I guess he probably saw it as as Belgium having especially with that back line being so old, maybe their last chance with this sort of golden generation of, of winning a competition. Mm. And yeah, I I think, I don't know if it's age or the injuries or a combination, but I think he's, yeah, he didn't necessarily do the best thing for his body. Who, who am I to say if he, you know, if he <coughs> prioritised Belgium over the rest of his career mm. uh, in the summer, then fair enough if that's what, what he wanted to do. And he's achieved so much in the game anyway. But I don't think in terms of getting back to his best, that was the right thing to do, um, you know, playing with ankle lim- ligament damage. And I, yeah, I think that maybe that that was it for Kevin De Bruyne as mm. the, the very best world-class midfielder that we've seen over the past four or five years. Um, but I wouldn't bet against him to 
you know, shove that back down my throat. Yeah. Is it some interesting quotes from him yesterday as well? He was talking about the Champions League final when he went off injured in tears after getting smashed in the face by Antonio Rudiger. I think he fractured his cheekbone or something. And he says he doesn't remember anything after that. And he and he, he was still wearing his kit at the hotel the next morning at 10am. Like he, he spent all night in hospital getting like facial reconstruction surgery and then went from there to the Euros. Like you say, had these painkilling injections that he says he regrets taking. And, and uh, yeah, 30, not getting any younger, Kevin. Um, I, I, he's still he's still a quality player, isn't he? He's still probably the best passer of the ball in the world. But uh, yeah, I do, I do wonder whether we might have just seen seen the best of De Bruyne. Uh, Chelsea are still top of the league after a one 0 win at Brentford on Saturday, but it was a tough game that could have gone either way. Pro- probably pretty lucky to escape with all three points, you'd have to say. Uh, Edward Mendy was man of the match here, and Antonio Rudiger was on Twitter afterwards asking why the Chelsea goalkeeper wasn't nominated for the Ballon d'Or. Um, another question for you, Matt: Has, has he got a point there? Should uh, should should Mendy be considered for that award? I thought the question was going to be, is Mendy the best goalkeeper is in the he? world at the is moment? He? <laughs> <laughs> There's potential for it. I yeah. don't see why not. Yeah, yeah. Looking at clean sheets and the way he's helping the team. Absolutely. I don't know why he wasn't nominated in the Ballon d'Or. Um, obviously, you know, I think Donnarumma was the only goalkeeper in it who obviously had a big hand in the Euros, but Mendy's had a big hand in the Champions League victory. I don't see why not. I think I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper and really, you know, his story of not quite being at the top for much of his career, to be honest, quite a late bloomer, um, it, it makes it even more impressive. I think he's brilliant. He's yeah. such a good keeper. Yeah, he made 26 saves in this game, which is pretty ridiculous, isn't it? That is mental. Yeah. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek had a really good game for Chelsea here. He looked like such a promising player back in his academy days and then he kind of lost his way a bit. Do you think he could go on to fulfil his potential at Chelsea after all, Lewis? P- possibly, I think. He, well, I don't know for his potential, but I think he he's already surprising me if he can turn into a regular, useful squad player for Chelsea this season. I didn't think that would happen, and I was surprised when he didn't leave them in in the summer permanently. Um, all these players never seem to leave Chelsea permanently anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I was surprised that he was still at Chelsea, and I was even more surprised that he was actually getting on the pitch in recent games. I think he came on against Man City as well, didn't he? And this is yeah to actually be starting games as well. I did not see this coming. Um, and fair play to to him and to Thomas Tuchel as well for finding a way to get more out of him. Yeah, they're such a weird squad, Chelsea. They've got you know all these quality players that they've signed in recent years, and then they've got Loftus Cheek still playing for them. Ross Barkley still getting on the bench. Trevor Chalobah's come from nowhere this year Malang Sarr who remembers them even signing him he played at the weekend it's like a, just a, a weird like Frankenstein's monster of a squad really but it seems to be working for them so far uh, Brentford were, were really unlucky not to get anything here as I mentioned Brian and Bermo hit the post sit, uh, for the sixth time this season which is more than any other team in the league that's just him on his own um, I don't like putting words in your mouth Matt but would you describe Brentford's approach this season as a breath of fresh air I would actually, and I really like how they've oh, kind of stuck to <laughs> stuck to their guns, you know, from the championship. Sometimes teams kind of think, oh, you know, we're, we're going to get battered or we'll sit back and we'll defend or we'll take the loss here, um, which which Burnley still do for some bizarre reason. <laughs> um, they plot their losses and seem to just accept it whenever they know they're going to lose. But yeah, I think Brentford have been really good. I like the manager, like a lot of the players. Um, and I, th- I think... There's been a few recently who have done it, Leeds last season, Sheffield United the season before, Wolves the season before that, who have come up and really made a go of it and proved that you can can actually make something of the Premier League if you give it a go. 
Um, but that's just in the first season. Second season syndrome is probably something they don't want to think about <laughs> just yet. But I, I would say of all the promoted teams, they look for sure the ones who are, who are most capable of staying up. Yeah, I think they've taken Leeds as Mantle as the best team to watch in the league this season, haven't they? Or mm. certainly, I yeah. really enjoy watching them. Yeah, I, that, I tune in for the Brentford games. They're brilliant. Yeah, that was a, a thrilling finale uh, the other night. Uh, mm. Speaking of thrilling finales, Aston Villa were 2-0 up heading into the last 10 minutes against Wolves on Saturday and somehow contrived to lose 3-2. And uh, We were full of uh, praise for Villa after that win at Old Trafford a few weeks ago, but they, they've lost two games since then. Why do you think they're such a kind of Jekyll and Hyde team, Lewis? I don't know. I think there's an element of still not knowing what they are or what they should be or need to look like mm. post Jack Grealish. And there's a few new signings, obviously trying to bed in. Ollie Watkins has now got to share striking duties with Danny Ings and they've moved to a back three. It's all a bit all over the place and... I guess it just takes time when you lose such a crucial player and everything at Villa, not just last season, but for years had been built around Jack Grealish and the way that Jack Grealish wanted to play and where he fit into the team. I think it does just take a little bit of time. Um, I don't think that there'll be, you know, I I think they'll just be sort of comfortably in mid-table for most of the season. But Dean Smith will really want to figure that out, figure out his best 11 and how he wants them to play sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think they were a bit unlucky here, to be fair. That Connor Cody one just kind of hit him and went in and then there was the deflected free kick right at the end. I think uh, perhaps, a, perhaps a draw might have been a fair result, really. Mm. I mean, I've been a bit of a Bruno Large sceptic so far this season. I probably would have been critical of him had Wolves not pulled that that comeback off. Um, do you think he deserves credit though, Matt, for having the mid-table at this point in his, in his first season in English football? And I suppose the manner of the comeback suggests that the players are on board with him, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, th- I think for him personally, having a team in mid-table is good. I think for Wolves, considering how well they did the last few seasons, it might be a little bit of a drop down. Um, but yeah, like you say, if they believe in him and you know they're, they're going to show more of this sort of consistency throughout the rest of the season. And I don't see any reason why um, why he wouldn't take a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I, I, I'm interested to see how they'll, how they'll kind of go in the longer run. Because again, I'm not, I, the jury's still out for me against him. But, you know, that was obviously a great, a great comeback. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they've done okay. Really, they've probably, they've probably mm. done a bit better than I than I thought they would so far, actually. And uh, they're playing some quite nice football. So, mm. fair play to him. Uh, David Moyes got one over on his old club when West Ham were one 0 away at Everton. Uh, Everton's best chance of this game fell to Alex Iwobi, and he made a right hash of it. Um, are you disappointed, Lewis, that he's ever really kicked on since his early days at Arsenal? Because I know you were you were a big fan of him at one point. Yeah, I think Alex Iwobi. He's one of those players who. You know when you have those players and they play better with better players and you know you can sort of stick them in a really good team and they'll facilitate everybody else and and make sure, keep things tidy and keep the ball moving but put them in maybe a lesser side or with with lesser players around them and that that burden falls on them a little bit more. I don't think that suits Alex Awobi at all and he's had a bit a pretty miserable time of it really since joining Everton. They they paid way too much money for him yeah. for you know a player like that who doesn't really take you on another level and doesn't have I don't know I like Alex Awobi but I don't think he has the sort of the personality to grab games on his own and be the player that drives you on and inspires you and inspires his teammates so it is a bit of a shame I, I still think Alex Iwobi could play sort of at higher level than playing for Everton yeah 
as a squad player for for one of the top teams, but in terms of you know, playing lower down the league, he's not the guy. I don't think to yeah, yeah inspire you to victories week in week out. Yeah, and you said that Abdullah Decore could be facing a spell on the sidelines with a broken foot. That's a pretty big blow for Everton because I think he's been probably their best player so far this season, if not one of the best players. Uh, it's not a newsflash to say that Declan Rice is a very good player, but I thought he was particularly brilliant for West Ham here. Are you a big fan of his, Mark? Can you see him being the next 100 million pound English player? I. I am a big fan of him. I think 100 million may be a bit excessive, <laughs> but I, I think he's a fantastic player. And what I really like about him, he's really got this um, this this English sort of swagger that a lot of players in the England team have, and this real confidence in his ability. And he's so much more than just a defensive midfielder. I think that's what I really like about him is that he can do all the dirty work and the basics, but he's a brilliant passer. He's got good feet. Um, you know, it, you saw his his run in the Europa League in goal, yeah. which which was amazing. And I I just think he's continuing to grow and develop, and being in the England squad is good for him. And yeah, I am such a big fan of him. I think, I think he's such a good midfielder, yeah. and he could be more. He could be more than just a holding midfielder. I, I really think he could be the perfect number eight. You know, to do a bit of everything in in that Gerrard sort of mold. Maybe not as good as Gerrard. <laughs> you know, well, there's some big boots to fill, but. Ever since someone described him as the English Yaya Toure, I can't unsee it now. Every time he plays, he just does that sort of lung-busted oh bombing God. run. It's just yeah, proof it. Now if you, I see it. If you're a big lad and you've got a bit of agility, just run with it. People can't tackle you. Like, just go for it, lads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Southampton got their first win of the season when they beat Leeds 1-0 on Saturday. I saw a few Leeds fans on Twitter saying this was possibly their worst performance under Marcelo Bielsa. Do you think we might be witnessing the beginning of the end of his time at Ellen Road, Lewis? He he never stays around for that long, does he? And I do wonder, yeah, when life isn't all rosy, then it might be the the beginning of of something sort of falling down. I don't know. I I wouldn't. Again, I, I think Marcelo Bielsa can turn turn it around. It's not like it's going disastrously at the mm. moment, but I think Leeds can play a lot better than they have been playing. And I also worry, on the other hand, that players like Rafinha will look to leave next season if you know if Leeds aren't in Europe or anywhere near that then we'll reach the summer and sort of three or four of their better players might get picked off with bigger bids from from bigger clubs so yeah I I do think this might be Bielsa's last season at, at Leeds but I'm sure before the season's over that we'll get a few more ridiculous performances yeah, from them no doubt yeah because you know they always seem to they're they're just the team that have that in their locker they can turn up and roll pretty much anybody over if everything clicks on the day yeah exactly yeah. Uh, people were taking the piss out of Ralph Hasenhutl's touchline attire again that, that tartan tie of his uh, but I, I did a Getty image search over the weekend and I noticed that he was wearing the exact same outfit when, when Southampton drew at City the other week does that suggest it's his lucky outfit Matt and he, he should wear the same thing for every match now yeah that, that screams very superstitious <laughs> um, wearing a tartan tie was that it? Was that what he's wearing? He's wearing the same outfit—the the, the tie, the waistcoat, the um, tr- trousers that were slightly too short for him with the white trainers. The exact same <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind. I mean, he looks like a plonker, but if it's working for him, if it's working for him. Then go for it. Yeah, I say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If he feels comfortable running up and down the touchline in. In whatever he's wearing, then yeah, good on him. Yeah, uh, Norwich are still bottom of the table despite a second successive nil-nil draw. This time with Brighton. Um, just one question from this game, Lewis: How the hell did Josh Sargent miss that open goal? 
you'd have to ask him. <laughs> he must have not realised that Shane Duffy was there, right? Yeah. But Shane Duffy's massive. How do you not realise that Shane Duffy's there? That's the question. It's just so casual, wasn't it? Like he was just like, oh, I'll just, yeah, I'll just roll it in from from twenty yards. Like no, he even had time to sort of just run it into the goal. Like, yeah, yeah, he didn't even have to shoot. Yeah. He could have just you know kept running towards the goal and then just smashed it in when he was two yards out. Yeah. It was really strange the way that he tried to yeah, like you say, just roll it home and. Um, I don't know. When your luck's out, it's out, isn't it? Exactly. Norwich, yeah. even even when things go so right that you manage to create a chance that massive, um, manage to screw it up at the moment. Indeed. Yeah, don't have a lot of hope for Norwich at the moment, as I'm sure most people don't. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast. Thanks to Lewis and Matt for joining me, and thanks to you all for listening. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out of action next week, so there'll be no podcast now until the 2nd of November. Uh, hopefully, you won't miss us too much, and we'll catch you next time. I'm